Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Victory Guaranteed. Victory Guaranteed, Joshua 1, 3-5. Now, this has nothing to do with the election, all right, which was, by the way, one of the craziest ones. And just, just don't anybody get upset with me, whatever side you're on, don't get upset because I'm going to just say a couple things. So hear me out all the way here. It's just a little, because I can't talk about victory guaranteed without mentioning this. If you, were here la- if you weren't here last week, I preached on Jesus for president. All right, Jesus for president. And, uh, I, and I stress that no matter what happened last week, God is still on the throne. God is still in charge, and he is. No matter what happened in the election, no matter what happens in the streets, no matter what happens in the, the weeks ahead, doesn't matter. God is still on the throne, and that's what we have to focus on as a church, whether it's the person we wanted in office or not, we have to focus on that. And amazingly, after preaching that, uh, TNT, NBA, TNT, Ernie Johnson did a, shared his perspective, and I just think this is a really interesting perspective piggybacking on what I shared and also moving forward as Christians. So we'll let uh, the tape roll for a few minutes here. Take on this after, after watching what we all watched on, on Tuesday. Number one, um, when this campaign season started, I, I felt like I'd been dealt a bad hand. Um, I had these couple of choices. And there were trust issues with Hillary Clinton I couldn't get past. And there was this inflammatory rhetoric from Donald Trump which to me was incomprehensible and indefensible. I couldn't vote for either one. For the first time in going to the polls for 42 years, I hit the write-in button, and I voted for John Kasich. And I left knowing that John Kasich wasn't going to win, but I left with a clear conscience because I hadn't settled. Number two, I'm hopeful. I watched the video today at CNN on what was going on at the White House with Donald Trump, President Obama. I was hopeful and I was encouraged that there will be a difference between the President Trump and the campaigning Trump. And I'm with these guys. We have to give them a chance. But here's the deal. I just hope that he's all in, in, uh, in fixing the wounds in this country and the divides that separate this country. And I want to be part of that too. And for me to be part of it, I have to look in the mirror and I have to say, how am I going to be a better man? How am I going to be a better neighbor? How am I going to be a better citizen? How am I going to be a better American? How can I be a fountain and not a drain? And number three, I know you're not supposed to talk about politics and religion, but we're already talking about politics, and so I'm going to go the R direction, too. I never know from one election to the next who's going to be in the Oval Office, but I always know who's on the throne. And I'm on this earth because God created me, and that's who I answer to. I'm a Christian. I follow this guy named Jesus. You might have heard of him. And the greatest commandment he gave me was to love others. And scripture also tells us to pray for our leaders. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for Donald Trump. I'm going to pray for all those people right now who feel like they're on the outside looking in, who are afraid at this point. Pray for them too. In short, I'm praying for America. And I'm praying that one day we're going to look back and we're going to say, you know what? That Donald Trump presidency... I was all right, but I'm praying. I 
I thought that was very touching. And it was what we talked about. God is on the throne. But that doesn't mean we just sit back and watch. <laughs> it's not a reality show. God's on the throne, so I'm just in a reality sh- watching the reality show. That's not what it means. We still have spiritual battles to fight, as we'll see today. We have spiritual battles as individuals, and we have spiritual battle as a country. I really believe God has given us a window, and we don't know how long it's going to be open. This window reminds me of the slavery issue, the battle over slavery. If you've no history at all. You know what happened with slavery. In England, the church was united. The church united behind an evangelical politician called William Wilberforce. Wilberforce united the, the church in England. There was a long battle, but they battled. And if you, I don't know if you've read the book Amazing Grace or seen the movie Amazing Grace. If you haven't, do both. The book and the movie are just an amazing book. An amazing, it's just an amazing story of God's grace. But we saw that the church united and they overturned slavery in England. Through The church led that way and they overturned it. But the United States was a whole different story. The church was divided. There was Christians in the North and the South who were compromised by the culture's racism. And it took God's judgment, it took the Civil War to get rid of slavery and the wounds are still festering today. I see the same thing happening again today in America over the abortion battle. Will the church wake up or will we be judged along with the whole country? And we need political action for sure. It's vital. You watch the movie Amazing Grace or read the book. There was a lot of, they, they used politics to overturn the, the, the slavery. But even and more important, the church needs to have a spiritual response. We need to be the church of Jesus Christ. There has to be a spiritual revival that will change people's hearts. Wake the church up and change people's hearts so they would realize how, what a, what, how God views abortion. And it would see that. And, and there would be a deep conviction that would happen. Uh, and, and the church also needs to be, the church also needs to look out for the widows and orphans. You see that over and over again. Caring for widows and orphans. We need to be the church. We need to get involved in the crisis pregnancy centers. We're already involved in one, but we need to really get involved and help the babies and the moms. Help them, show them the love of Christ. Help these families, not just to have the baby, but to keep on, to keep all the way up through their life. That really helped them. There's a, we were talking to some friends in Colorado. And in Colorado, there's an area in Colorado that the churches all got together and they saw what a deep need there was for all the, the kids in foster care and the, the kids who are orphans and, and the kids that had needs. And the churches got together, prayed about it. And took this on as a ministry. And, and, and the result is in this one area of Colorado, they don't have a foster care system anymore. The churches run the whole thing. Amazing. And now they're praying about the homeless mothers and their children. And they're, and they're, gonna, they're, they're praying that the church would really be the church. And that's something that the world can't argue with. That's something that people can't march against, right? That's what disarms our detractors, is living out the love of Jesus Christ. It's so important. I know when we started this church, some of you remember, some of you were here, about a couple of handfuls of people were here. And you remember the attacks that we experienced. We were attacked by the radical LGBT community. 
Not all the whole community, but the radical part of it. They attacked us. And you remember the policemen being here and the services and, and all that we went through from these tolerant people. And, uh, and, it, and it, they were wrong. They thought we hated them. They were wrong. We didn't hate them. We came to New Hope because we cared about them. And we loved them. We wanted to share the love of Jesus Christ. And, and, we, and we decided instead of fighting back, instead of picketing back, instead of threatening back, because we got threatened, hate crimes, easily could have been called that, the, but we didn't respond that way. We responded in a, a different way. The Holy Spirit led us. We, we got involved in the AIDS walk, and we became one of the major players in the AIDS walk, helping raise money and, and showing the love of Christ to this community. We got involved with the AIDS house in New Hope, which... I never saw any of these radical LGBT people at the AIDS house helping out, ever. Most of them didn't even know it was there as I talked to them. But we got involved, and we showed the love of Christ, and we saw many people there come to Christ and grow in their faith and and be set free from the bondages they were in, and it was powerful. And the result of that is I had people from this community that used to be our enemies. I remember one guy in particular came up to me and said, You're different. You guys are different. He said, we know you don't agree with everything we believe in, but we know you care about us. And another of the guys said, you should have been at the local gay bar last night. You wouldn't have believed the argument that was going on. He told me what happened. They were ripping, some group was ripping on us in the gay bars, saying, oh, they got to come out and march on the church, and blah, 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 and some of you remember that happening. But he said, I told them to, I can't use the language he used, but I told them to leave that church alone. I said, you leave them alone, that's a real church. That's the only thing that's going to heal this country. I think some of the stuff that's being said is delusional. <laughs> but that's not going to help them. They need to hear and see the love of Jesus Christ. That's what they need. We need to speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love. It's hard to do sometimes, right? When the emotions get high and things get said. But that's as a church, we need to... We need to, that's, that's what we need to do. And once again, if you missed last week, I want to encourage you to listen last week because it was Jesus for president that God is on the throne. Very, very important to, to keep that in mind through this whole process. I, we started with the book of Joshua, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and we saw how Jesus was a... Joshua is a type of Jesus Christ. It's a picture of Jesus. Joshua, Jesus, same word. One's Greek, one's Hebrew. But, the, but it's the same person. Once again, if you were here, listen to that. And we also saw how how the Israelites entering the promised land is a picture of us. It's for us today. We are the Israelites. It's a picture of our spiritual battle entering into God's promised land for us today. Let's pray before I read this. Father, we thank you that we know that you are on the throne, that you're in control And I pray that you would help us to be discerning, biblically discerning and spiritually discerning, that we wouldn't be pulled into the world's deceptions and the world's lies. But at the same time, Lord, we pray that we would speak the truth in love, that people could 
hear the love and see the love in our life. I pray that you would raise up in your church people that would help the widows and the orphans and protect those, the weak. Reaching out to the poor. Reaching out to the alien, which the Bible says over and over again, ministering to the alien. Whether we agree they should be here or not, it doesn't matter. We're, we're to minister to them. Father, I just pray that your spirit would move in your church. We know that's the only hope for our country. It's the only hope for the people that are so blind spiritually, that believe these lies that they believe. May they find Jesus Christ and be set free. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. I'm going to get through a couple more verses today. It's wild. This is a wild, wild book. Once again, if you weren't here, get, listen last week because we really went deep. We laid the foundation. It's a powerful, powerful passage. But um, we'll pick it up with verse 1 again. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... The Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. And then we'll go to verses 3 and 4, Rebecca. I'm just going to focus on this now. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Then he talks about the territory. It will be the desert to Lebanon, the great river Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. And we see that God has given them this land. This was promised to the nation, to the the Jewish people, and it became the nation of Israel. It was promised to them. And I want to show you on a map here, right behind us, what God promised them. And on the left-hand side is what God promised Joshua and the Israelites. All that colored territory. You can see the the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea and, and, and the Jordan River and on both sides. It's a very large area. But the map on the right is what they actually have today. And only the yellow, the, see the little yellow part? What do we see the difference on? Just that yellow part. The blue in the middle of Israel isn't theirs. No, it's Swiss cheese over there, right? Uh, just the yellow in the middle there is, is the present nation of Israel. The rest is either not in their hands or other countries. What do we see the difference there? A very large part of what God has promised, Israel does not possess today, right? A huge, they they only possess a small portion of what God has given them. And I'm going to say this, it doesn't matter what the UN or the US says or does. This land has been promised to Israel by God. And he is on the throne. And I say to people, even Christians, I say, listen, we better support Israel and them having all the land that God has promised them or or, or we're going to be fighting against God. Remember that. Remember that. Whatever political persuasion, whatever you've been taught, you know... 
God is on the throne and he promised them this. And we as Christians have to support them being given what God has promised to them. Now, this promise to Joshua has some very important implications for us today too, spiritual implications. Look what he says, verse 3, he says, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. The Israelites were given the promised land and then they had to fight for every inch of it. What? I thought we were given this land. They were given the land and they had to fight for every rock. They had to fight for it. And it's a vital lesson for us today, for for us as Christians today, because we are, this is for us. Physical land, spiritual, remember we talked about that last week? So many, I see so many Christians, we, we get saved. We put our faith in Jesus. We say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I put my faith in him. I give my life to him. We take that step of faith. We, are, we, are, we have salvation. Now we call it being saved, but salvation is the biblical word. We're all excited. We experience peace. It's, it's a super experience. We get baptized. It's awesome. We uh, have victory over some big sins in our life. God, the Holy Spirit just wipes them away. But then we begin to struggle and face trials. And many times people are like, what's this? What is this? And so often... I see people get discouraged and quit on their faith. It's important to understand something from what happened to Israel. The war is over. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the war is over, but the battles are just beginning. It's now mop-up time. And if you've studied history, you know that mop-up battles are some of the most bitter that could possibly be fought. The wandering in the desert is over. They wandered 40 years in the desert. The wa- our wandering, our lost, being lost and an empty life, it's over. But now we must defeat the enemy with God's help. We're in the promised land. We have to defeat the enemy with God's help. <clears throat> he says, I will give you. The Israelites were given the promised land, but they had to fight for every inch of it. And that is a picture of us today. Salvation is a gift. We are given salvation. You cannot earn salvation we cannot earn getting right with God and and getting a new life here in heaven someday life forever with God we cannot earn that it can only be received as a gift Ephesians 2 8 and 9 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast Salvation is a gift. You cannot work your way into heaven. You cannot earn your way into God's favor. We cannot deal with our sin problem and get right with God. It's impossible. The wall's there. We can only receive salvation as a gift by faith. All right, salvation's a gift. But sanctification is a lifelong battle. Sanctification means the process of becoming holy. The Bible talks about sanctification becoming like Jesus. That is a lifelong battle. It's a battle. Salvation's a gift. You can just receive it. I've given you the land. But now you're going to have to fight for it, and we're going to have to fight for our sanctification. It's a lifelong battle. When we cross that river, the Jordan River, we're going to see get to Joshua 3. We cross the river. It's like we become the Christian. We're crossing over judgment. We become a Christian. We are saved. <clears throat> we have peace. We have joy. But we're not beamed up to heaven at that point, are we? We're not beamed up. No. 
Now we become conscious. Once the Holy Spirit comes in and, and, and starts to work in our heart, we become conscious. The moment you become a Christian, we become conscious of enemies within and without. All of a sudden we're like, whoa, look at the battle I'm in. And not just outside people are fighting, but inside the battle. There's enemies within and without. We were ignorant of that before the Holy Spirit came in. Before the Holy Spirit comes in, we're ignorant. You watch the news, you're seeing some pretty ignorant things being said. We were just like it. We all were. We are, without the Holy Spirit, we are blind. Our minds are darkened. Our hearts are darkened. How could people think these things? We all were that. Every one of us before the Holy Spirit, before we put our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit came in and transformed us. That's what we all are like. Remember that. Remember that. And <clears throat> when the Holy Spirit comes in, all of a sudden our eyes are open, our, our minds are, are cleared. And now we are called to kill the flesh, we're called to resist the devil, and we're called to, to resist the world. We're called to do that. And we're called to do that just as we are, we are saved, we're saved by faith, we're called to do that by faith. Galatians 2.20, I hope you have this memorized by now. I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We are saved by faith. We live by faith. It's that, we're, we, it's that complete dependence that we have been talking about. Life <clears throat> is a battle. We see this with the Israelites. They're going to have to fight for every inch. Life is a battle. That's the bad news. The good news is... Number one, once we put our faith in Christ, we're in a battle. Before that, what were we? What were we? POWs. We were POWs. We were captive to Satan, captive to the world's lies. We were delusional. That's what we were. But now, at least, we're no longer POWs. That's the good news. We're actually in the fight. If you're a POW, you're not in the war. You're just like captive, and you could be killed any time by the enemy. But now, at least we're in the battle. And also the good news is that God is on our side and victory is guaranteed. Two things, remember this. It's a spiritual battle. That's the tough news for you. But the great thing is that God is on our side and victory is guaranteed. Look at verse 5. He says, No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Victory is guaranteed. No matter what spiritual battle we are facing, no matter what sin or temptation we're fighting, no matter what trial we're enduring, God promises us ultimate victory. We are going to win. And that's meant to encourage us. That's meant to get us excited. You know, you've been in sporting events. You go watch a game. The little football guys had a tough game yesterday. But what if the, when the coach... What happens when the one team starts to win and it's obvious they're going to win? What does that do? It gives them momentum. The mode you know, gets on there, the momentum, and they just start to go for it and they just play at a whole new energized level. It's a whole different thing. And that's what God is telling us here. We're going to win. And that's what should motivate us to keep on fighting those spiritual battles. That's what should get us excited and, and keep us going. Even we get knocked down, if we get tackled, even we get an injury, we just keep getting up, we keep fighting. That's the whole point, that, that we're, we're going to win. 
In fact, the war is already over. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the war is already finished. Jesus said it is finished. The war is over. We've already won. This is mop-up time. But as I mentioned before, mop-up time can be very, very vicious. World War II, those who followed World War II at all, some of the most desperate fighting was when the enemy was cornered. As we begin to take back the islands, right? And the, you know, the, the, the suicidal attacks that our soldiers had to face. As we got into the heart of Germany, you know, it just, it just became more bitter and more bitter. Fighting for every inch of Germany. Because that's what happens once, once the, the enemy is beaten and it's mop-up time, it gets, it gets more vicious. But victory is guaranteed no matter how tough the battle is. Victory has been guaranteed for us. And in fact, in Romans 8, 37, this is what... Paul is talking about when he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In all these things we are more than conquerors. Nothing can stop that. Nothing. If we persevere, we're going to talk about perseverance in just a minute here. If we persevere, God promises us ultimate victory. Ultimate victory. And not only ultimate victory, but his presence. He, he promises us his presence. Joshua 1.5 at the end, he says, I will, I will never leave you. Joshua 1.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I hope you have that memorized. If you don't, this is, it. this is for today. This is for this week. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He not only promises us victory, but his presence. God will walk with us every step of the way. We're in a spiritual battle. Israelites land, we're taking a spiritual land, right? But God will walk with us every step of the way. And because of this confidence, we don't have to fear anything or anyone. We live in scary times, don't we? It's getting scarier all the time. But listen to what the writer of Hebrews, how he applies this very verse here. In Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, he says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Whether you're flying to the Philippines or whether you're walking across the street, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's the result of realizing that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the result is we don't have to be afraid of anything or anyone. Whatever we are going through, God is right there for us. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, the moment you do that, Joshua, our Joshua, Jesus, the moment you say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I believe he died on that cross for me. I repent of that sin. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to him. The moment you do that, the Holy Spirit comes inside and he guides us. He encourages us. He comforts us. And we get God as our bodyguard. <clears throat> Think of who'd you like to be your bodyguard? Who's your favorite superhero? 
Everybody has different superheroes. I always like Spider-Man. He was my favorite. He is my favorite. Uh, Spider-Man. But wouldn't it be great to have a superhero? Think of your favorite superhero. Wouldn't it be great to have them protecting you when you go to school and there's a bully or you're driving the car and, you know, whatever's going to happen. Just wouldn't it be great to just always know you had that superhero? But God is like all those superheroes combined. And then times by a million, right? I mean, he's, he's, he's really our, our sole guard. Not our, our bodyguard. He's our soul guard. No matter what happens to this body, whatever happens to this body, our real self is protected. Nothing can touch us. Nothing can touch the soul. Once you put your faith in Christ, Jesus is our soul guard. God is protecting us. Nothing can touch us. We, there's, we don't have to be afraid of anything or anyone. It's hard to remember that, right? But it's the truth. Even what could happen with persecution in this country, what will happen someday with persecution in this country. We don't have to be afraid of it. I read a quote from someone when the Roman Empire was persecuting Christians and killing them. And and one of the Christians, I don't remember who said it, but he, he answered the emperor and he said, you can kill us, but you can't hurt us. And they were killing them every way you can imagine. But he said, you can kill us, but you can't hurt us. That's the perspective that we have through this book of Joshua. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ? You can have this relationship as your soul guard, your bodyguard right now. As Christians, are we aware Are we aware of God's presence in our life? Are we clinging to and claiming this promise? I will never leave you nor forsake you. This is a promise. Jesus said, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. This is a promise that we have. Are you clinging to that? And are we we claiming this promise? Are we persevering through spiritual battles, through sin and temptation, through trials, through peer pressure, through the world's lies constantly bombarding us (laughs) through the media, constantly bombarding us through that? Are we persevering through that? Don't give up. That's the key, is we don't give up. We're going to look at that next week when he talks about being strong and courageous. Don't miss next week. But even when it seems like God has forgotten us, he's right here. He's right here. Even when, even when it seems like he's forgotten us. And he knows, he knows when and how to get us to the goal. He knows how to get us to the the finish line. He knows how to get us to his goal for our life. Not necessarily our goal. (laughs) It's usually not our goal. But he knows how to get us to his goal for our life, the finish line. One of the most powerful stories I ever remember in sports, I'm a big sport nut, as you know. Derek Redman was a British runner. 1988, he was trying to compete in the Olympics, but he couldn't compete for the Great Britain, for Great Britain. He had leg problems. He had injuries, leg problems. He couldn't do it, so he said, I'm going back to the Olympics. He trained hard for four more years, Derek Redman. Four more years, he made it the team in the 400 meters. He was running really well. looked like he had some good chance there. But in the semis, he tore his hamstring. After all that training and all that perseverance, he tears his hamstring. But he says, I'm going to finish this race. Some of you may remember this. He gets up and he starts to stagger around the track. Could barely 
do it, just staggering, stumbling, determined to finish. And as he comes, I'll never forget, as he comes around that home stretch, you can actually Google it, it's a powerful video of it still. As he comes around to come down the back stretch, the home stretch there, he's really struck, weeping, crushed. But he's like, I'm going to finish this race. And he comes down that home stretch, really struggling now. Somebody jumps out of the stands, gets past the security, runs out in the track, puts his arms around him, and helps him. It was his father. He struggles across the finish line together. They struggle across that finish line, leaning on his father for support. Powerful, powerful. Now, his father was there all along, wasn't he? Where was he? He was cheering him on. And he knew, the dad knew, when to hop the fence. He knew when his son really needed him. To get to that line. And God knows. He knows how to get us over that finish line. He knows he's always there. And he knows when to put his arm around us and he knows when to carry us. You all know the footprints poem. Do you wish you had a father like that? You can if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. He will run this race with you and his father will be your father. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And we as Christians... We are all in a race. Will we persevere? I know a lot of you, I know I talk to you all. I know what I'm like. I want to give up many, many times, don't we? We get knocked down or hurt in some way. We want to give up. We are all in a race. Will we persevere with God's help? Hebrews 12, 1-3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Words for today, huh? The word for race here, run, run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. The word race there in Greek is agon. It's the word we get agony from. And every one of us has a race marked out for us, and it includes agony. 
Will we run it with perseverance? Will we throw off the sin that so easily entangles? Will we fix our eyes on Jesus? Not the opposition, but on Jesus. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us this morning? Through this book of Joshua. God is, maybe as a Christian, you know you've received salvation. It's been a gift that you've been given, but maybe your eyes are just being opened that we're going to have to fight every step of the way for our sanctification. Maybe you're here wounded, beaten down. Maybe you've even given up. At least in an area of your life you've given up. I hope and pray today that you'll get back up. Even if you have to stagger, you'll get back up. And claim the promise that I shall never leave you nor forsake you. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us about persevering in our faith? Getting back up and fighting the battle again, whether it's a trial in our life, whether it's a temptation or a sin, whether it's whatever it is, whether it's someone else who's struggling and we're discouraged about that, whatever it is. Father, I pray that we would all run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Encourage us, Father, with your presence. Pray the Holy Spirit would encourage us and comfort us. While we're praying about that, maybe you're here today. And the first step you need to take is putting your faith in Jesus. You're not ready for the race yet because you have to take that first step, putting your faith in Jesus. The Bible says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Is the Holy Spirit calling you to put your faith in Jesus today? Maybe you're on a spiritual journey and you're just seeking and searching and that's awesome. Keep doing it. But perhaps the Holy Spirit is saying today is the day of salvation to you. Are you ready to pray the prayer of faith? God, please forgive me for my sin, for the wrong, all the wrong I've ever done. I repent of that. I put my faith in Jesus who died on the cross for me, in my place. I surrender my life to you, God. I give my life to you. If you prayed that prayer of faith, you now have the ultimate bodyguard, the ultimate soul guard. God's Holy Spirit is living in you. And it's going to change you in ways you never thought possible. 
going to open your heart and mind and eyes to things you never saw before. I want to encourage you, if you've taken that step, to let somebody know. Maybe someone here with you or tell me on the way out or fill out the card or let somebody know so that we can be excited for you and and help you grow in your new faith and and fight the new battles that you're going to face. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would move in a powerful way in our church and in your church. I pray you would give us victory. Let us experience the victory that you've promised us as we claim the truth. I will never leave you nor forsake you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.